Are you not sitting up here with me? <laughs> Just, oh, cool. On the mic, is it? Okay. Any questions from this morning's sermon on, like, let, let us love one another, a call to love, an example of love, and an outcome or outcomes of love? Yes. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're from the Northeast, here in the Midwest. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <clears throat> there is a number of people that, that, that love to, to hear what people are saying in the, um, in the podcast that, that we put up later. So. so, a comment just in Acts 11.26, and when he found them, he brought him to Antioch for a whole, meaning Paul. Yep. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, it's a call where Christians were known as Christians because of their love for one another as they reflected the love of Jesus Christ. Yes, and I didn't say this in in my sermon, but that is the command. Let me just turn to that. If we can turn John chapter... Ooh, should have wrote this down. 13, verse 31 to 35. Let me read this. You guys can can follow along there. This is kind of in the background of my mind as I'm thinking through this call to love. When he had gone out, let me just make sure. Yes, this is the, okay. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. God is glorified in him. God will also glorify him in himself and and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am walking with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Amen? Any further comment on that? Or I, I totally agree with you. Yes. The, the mark of the church will be our love for one another. God intended that our love for one another would be a, something that... that is distinct separates us from others you will know them by their love this is what this is what jesus says you will know them by their love for one another the only reason i didn't yeah yeah so yeah just time restraints but yes amen (laughs) any other questions if you raise your oh looks like we have a couple there auntie shelly you guys may not know her as that but i'm greg and allison's aunt um (laughs) One of the teachers that I've studied under always defined their terms, and this is just an addition. Um, He would have defined love, sorry, as um, agape love is doing the best for the other person no matter the cost to you, which goes right with your sermon very well. So he defined love. He defines his terms, you know. So I just want to add that. Yes, and... um... If I had the, you know, there's like these different kinds of loves in in the Greek, but uh, was that? Yeah, agape, phileo, and um, yeah, and then one other. And one of the commentaries that I read is said, you know, don't get too 
wrapped up in, you know, which Greek word is used because in the Septuagint, um, it's not always the case that agape love is this special kind of love, but the context always tells you, the context always tells you what kind of love it is. It's not the, the love that you might have for your favorite sandwich or something, right? Um, I love pizza. I, I genuinely enjoy pizza. I do not love pizza the same way that I love each and every one of you, or I love my children, or I love my wife. That's not the same kind of love. So yes, defining our terms, what is love? We get it from who God is. God is love. And so if we're going to understand what love is, it finds its definition in what God has done. God was active in his love. He was life-giving in his love. He took initiative. He, he, he had a love that was costly. He had a love that was redemptive. And those, I think, define the terms of what love is in this sense. Love acts, right? Love doesn't just kind of be. It's not, a, it's not just an existing kind of property that we have. It, it actually causes us to do something. So that, I don't know if I could make a definition of that or something, but, but love, true love, loves others. I don't know. It's the best I got on the spot. I think we had Don, or sorry, uh, yeah. Can you hear me? I can, yes. Uh, first of all, thank you for a wonderful sermon. I don't know why, how I missed this, but you said something about something in between for love is from God and because God is love. And so somehow I missed that. Can you refresh my memory? Yes. So if we turn to 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8, we'll see what I meant. What I meant is that John, in this call to love, that's the first section, in this call to love, we have an audience, content, two reasons, and two responses. I I aligned it that way because John does give us two reasons and he does give us two responses. But in the text, as I read it, you'll see that there's reason A, response A, response response one, response two, and then reason B. And that's all I was trying to communicate is that I, I didn't want you to think that I was just glossing over this second reason for why we ought to love one another, but that that reason I was going to pick up later when the text picks it up. But I, for ordering purposes on the outline, it felt a little cleaner to have those two reasons together as opposed to, you know, the first reason that we should love for love is from God, and, the, and then the two responses and the second reason that we should love is love or is God is love. So just in the text, you'll see that that's the way it is. Whoever loves God has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God does not know God because God is love. So, oh, sorry, I, I forgot the first part. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. Reason A. Response one, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Response two, anyone who does not love does not know God. Reason B, because God is love. I could have ordered it like that on the outline. I chose to have reason A and B together and then response A and B together. It's just a, uh, I just wanted to clarify that just in case people are saying, wait a second now, you know, God is love is a big point. You're just glossing right over it to get to these two responses. Yes, but only to get back to it. But I wanted to give people their, their bullet point because I know people care about that. Next question. All right, Steve. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I'm not noble enough to add to your sermon, so <laughs> I'm, I'm a detractor here. Um, I like the way you start out that, you know, uh, 
God is love and love one another. And then you kind of centered down and said, well, the audience here is the church. So who he's talking to is the church members should love one another. But then you generalized a little bit and said, you know, love your enemies. My heart's heavy lately with uh, this shooting in Philadelphia with the Jews. And, and um, if you go to John, 1 John 3.12, Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. Mm. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Mm. And that was kind of a, a nutshell for me of why this keeps happening, the conflict in the Middle East. What I don't understand is what's our proper response? So I'm sorry if that was confusing when I, when I referred to the, the verse where love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you and husbands love your wife, wives. All I meant to, um, to communicate there was that in the Bible, there are many calls to love groups of people. There's a call to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. There's a call to love your wives. And then, I mean, I, we could have gone on and on all, all service about the different calls that we are, we are given in the Bible to love others. What I, the only reason I mentioned those was to, was to say that the Bible has a lot to say about love. And no one's surprised about that. But I just gave a couple examples. And then I said, but the love that we're going to talk about, the love that we're going to zero in on is this intra-church love. I could have used that term, right? The the love within the church. And that's what I meant to communicate. So your question is, what do we do about the shootings of the Jews? I don't have an answer. (laughs) I mean, if I did, I'd probably be elected somewhere or something. Um, We pray. No, we, we do. We pray for others. But that wasn't necessary. I mean, I wasn't trying to touch that kind of topic in my sermon this morning. I don't know if that's a satisfying answer, but I'm, I guess I'm not prepared to talk about that kind of love other than to say that, yes, biblically, we ought to love others. And that includes those outside of the church too, right? Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. That the, the, the one or the love that God had was not only to those here within the church, but to those outside of the church. It was a, it was a general love for those, for anyone who would receive in faith his son. And yes, we have a love like that towards others. We have a love towards our enemies. We have a love towards those who are persecuting us. But that's not exactly what I was aiming at this morning. And I'm sorry if I didn't, if I wasn't clear enough. Did you want to follow up on that, Steve? Good answer. You could be a politician. (laughs) (laughs) All right. November 6th, go to your ballots. (laughs) Compromise, Steve. (laughs) Uh, We have a question. Uh, I had one, but I was still trying to to put it together yet, but... um, (laughs) uh, It's a broken question. Should have been ready before I took the mic, but (laughs) I... I, I was thinking of, of love, how far it goes and how, um, how far God's love goes. I was thinking of that, and I think I was talking with somebody about that, how, how Jonah was put through, you know, was told to go and, and preach repentance to the Ninevites, and uh, I, I couldn't understand why he was so, so reluctant to go there and didn't want... I, I guess I understand that those people were evil people. They were... Horrible. They treated the Jews horrible, and, and uh, 
no doubt he probably had fam family members that were tortured and, and brought up through that. And it just was so impossible, it seemed, for him to love those kinds of people. And I got to thinking about how God's love uh, uh, reaches that far. You know, that, that was, that, that's just plain, uh, I mean, that's, that's, that's extreme love. Yeah, and I agree with you. I don't think Jonah understood that God is love. He, he, did not, he, he, didn't, he couldn't comprehend how God's love could reach to this people. He was comfortable with it, you know, reaching to, uh, you know, his group of people, his, you know, people that he was comfortable with. But for God to send a message of, of, of salvation, of reconciliation to these people, Jonah could not comprehend. Yes. The, the funny thing is, on the one hand, he did get it because his complaint to God is, I knew, I but knew you were, were going to forgive him yeah. and be gracious. He, on the one hand, understood that mm -hmm. about God, but he understood it in the way that it repelled him. He understood it in the way that disgusted him. He didn't see it as beautiful. So yeah. part of the reason I think he ran was, oh, no, God's going to be merciful to them. And I don't want him to be merciful to them, so I want to get far away from them. So he saw it, but he saw it as ugly. Yeah, thanks for that correction. Yes, jo I, th I, I agree with you. Jonah did comprehend what God would, you know, what God's love would look like in this situation, and he just, you know, he didn't like it. He saw it as ugly. Amen. And we'll go with Greg first. I think he had his hand up first. If we can get a mic to, to the elder Greg, the younger Greg, is that <laughs> the Greg the first? Yes. yes. <laughs> I was just wanting to address Steve a little bit, uh, his question. It is difficult when we look around the world and see what's happening uh, to think that we can love those as such as the people that, you know, killed the people in Philadelphia. And it, it, it assaults our sensibilities to think, well, I have to love those people. Mm. But then we think, j just as in the uh, the what was talked about regarding Jonah, God was willing to, to forgive those, you know, the Ninevites. We have no right to claim a greater person or greater uh, standard than God does. Mm. You know, if anybody is offended, if anybody is, is uh, uh, gone against, it's God, not us. Yeah. And that's, you know? and that's my point in love is God. Or, or my point in saying that it's not love is God. It's not like we say, you know what? These are safe people. These are the right people to love. And this is an appropriate way to love them. And these people are just, I mean, the Ninevites or, or those who commit these, these you know, mass killings, they are not worthy of our love. We don't get to define what love is and then say, yeah, that must be what God is like. God must not love them too because we don't love them. Uh, no, it's God is love. And we come to understand what love is as we see. And he, God, he has great love, as, as, as we are talking about earlier, and, and we, it's almost a love that we can't quite comprehend or understand, you know, why God has, has chosen us, this, this sinful people, you know, with no good in us, no inclination towards him, why he has done anything. So in one sense, you know, we understand the love of God. In another sense, it's like God's love is just too too much to comprehend and too much to grasp. So we shouldn't limit it in saying God can't love these people or God this and the other unless the Bible limits it. So if we're going with what the Bible says, 
um, then yes, those, those people too, even if they commit heinous crimes, can be forgiven because guess what? Even in Luke, we're seeing those who have committed heinous crimes forgiven. I mean, we, we only have to look so far as Paul, who was a persecutor of the church, who when he was brought forth to the apostles, the apostles cringed. They're like, I don't know if we can accept this guy. Just the other you know, day, he's, he's trying to, you know, he's getting letters to throw us in jail. You know, how is it that we can receive this guy? And Barnabas brings him uh, before the, the, the leaders and encourages them to, to hear what he has to say, what has happened, what he is doing since. And we see well, it turns out that God's love reaches this far too, to the extent that it changes the, the complete direction of this, of, uh, this zealot to, to turn away from persecuting the church to now preaching the same message. And this is what the apostles understood. The same message that you were just trying to, to persecute, you are now proclaiming. And that is, that's God's love. If I can just follow up a, a second, the in all of this, though, we need to remember that it is okay to hate the the uh, the sin uh, and abhor that and to condemn that, uh, just not to carry it on to the sinner. Yeah, don't Cause, don't yeah because Do, there we were also. Yeah, you you want to leave the wrath of God to judge the individual, but. There is a sense in which we judge the actions of others, and uh, Jeremy can probably speak on the more nuanced uh, answer to, to, to that, but yeah. Well, the, we bring them to light. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5, do not participate with the works of darkness, but expose them. Mm-hmm. And there's a sense in which truth, the truth we speak, and the contrast of the lives we should be living in contrast to the lives of others ought to make things evident, make things manifest. But we're not, and we as heralds let the world know that there is a king who has judged them. There's a king who is going to come and destroy his enemies if they don't receive his offer of forgiveness. But that's a big difference than us judging them. Amen. And one of the things we want to make clear when we speak to the world is it's not our judgment. We're just the herald. We're just the messenger. There is a king, and he is coming, and he has a rod of iron, and he will dash the nations like a potter's vessel. Therefore, O kings, be warned, be wise. Kiss the sun and rejoice with trembling. You know, that's the, that's the advice of Psalm 2. So that is what we're announcing, that the danger, and sadly far too often we sound as though we are the ones pouring our judgment, like we're little kings out. And the world hates it, and they are right to. So those are the distinctions. So there is a message of judgment, even in the gospel. I mean, we don't need saving unless we're condemned. But um, that that distinction of letting people know that, and hating hating what they're doing. And I'll, I'll go a step further, Greg. God has given his people songs in the Psalms, some of which call for the destruction of their enemies. And frankly, I lack the wisdom, I feel, to know when it's appropriate. But apparently there's a time and a place to sing those songs as well. Um, I, I'm going to defer to <laughs> to the, the long-suffering, but apparently there's a time and a place to say, Lord, take them out. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that time and place is, <laughs> and I've rarely come across a time where I think it might even begin to be appropriate. Maybe... <laughs> If I was living in a place where there is, you know, massive genocide and war and stuff, but I don't know that. 
but uh, th there's even a place for that where, where the Psalms, and you read through the Psalms, you're going to see them here and there. Um, and, so, and God, we know, as merciful as he is, does judge, and there's wrath, and there's judgment. So um, I think the love of God is challenging because it's not this sort of one-color, one-size-fits-all thing. God's love in different contexts looks different. To different and to people. borrow from... Daniel, again, last week, I think in the ABF, he also made that point, is that, you know, if you hear the gospel the same way each time, when you hear it differently uh, another time, you're going to be like, whoa, I'm not quite sure if this is the gospel. I think this was a question last week. In the same way, if you only think God is love in this way, and you, only, and you limit the, the facets of God's love to, to you know, one or two instances or whatever, then you're going to misunderstand when God loves in another way, like in his judgment. God loves in his care, he loves in his creation, but he also loves in his judgment, and you'll miss those different facets of this, of this love of God. Before we get to you, I think Elsa had a question first. I just wanted to say exactly what Greg said, um, but I also... When you see these things happen, you just think, but for the grace of God, there, there go, go I. And I really think um, as far as the, the people who commit any atrocity goes, we should love them enough to share the gospel. Amen. Absolutely. We should not want them to go to hell. That is not something we should wish on anybody. That is an awful thing. So share the gospel. God... God will, he's got his elect, and he will let that seed grow that you plant. Yeah, and what think, we want yeah. in, in these situations is we want justice. We absolutely want justice. But that justice may come or may have already come on the cross, and we need to be ready and willing to accept that as the justice given in this situation as opposed to us, our justice, or, or the nation's justice against that person or seeking their, their death or, or whatever. Carol. I'm, I'm going to kind of follow up on what Jeremy said and, and see if he thinks this is an opportunity to pray for God to take someone out. But um, I'm, th I'm, thinking, okay. I'm thinking of Josh and Melanie over there in, uh, in Greece. Uh, Lesbos, is that, am I pronouncing that right? All the refugees. And I mean, they are risking their lives to reach out to give the gospel to people that I suppose some people over here would consider our enemies being Islamic, but they, they know that they're reaching out with the gospel. And then to hear that ISIS is raising itself up right there in the camp, I'm wondering if that's a good opportunity to pray that God would take out ISIS. <laughs> I mean, per, no, perhaps, but then you, I mean, this is where the wisdom of God comes in. I mean, Nineveh and was the historic enemy of Israel. This is as much or more of a geopolitical threat to Israel as ISIS is. And, you know, yet God says, no, send them a message of mercy and forgiveness. You know, so, it, no, it might be. I, that's what I'm saying. I lack the wisdom. I mean, at the end of First John, the book you're preaching, John says this very enigmatic statement. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say for you to pray in this case. Um, so he says, if any of you wanders, pray for that brother, what he's saying is there can be a point where somebody's hardened their heart and gone to a place where they are beyond repentance, where they're beyond forgiveness. I have no idea when that takes place. But I'm sort of ripping off Ask Pastor John. He got asked this just recently, so I'm thankful for that. 
But he was saying, in, in that case, and John saying, if you're somehow aware that that person has apostatized the point that they are, they're, they're so hardened, they don't pray for them. He says that. There's a case where we're not to pray for someone. And what's difficult is he doesn't give a ton of details what that is. And so perhaps God gives the wisdom and the insight to know when that's happened, when somebody's so far gone that they're, they're, they're irredeemable because they've made themselves irredeemable, they've hardened their heart, they've blinded themselves so much that they're, they're beyond repentance, like Esau who sought repentance and he found no place for it, that we sought it with tears, hmm. perhaps. I just yet in my life have yet to encounter any scenario where I've clearly discerned that's what's going on. But perhaps, perhaps ISIS in those camps is that. I, I do not know, but it, it might be. That's, you wanted to know what I thought. That's what I think. Doug. Yeah, you mentioned in your sermon about irresistible desire to act in love. And I know you're, now you're talking about love others within the church. I know for one, I need help with that. I, I pray God will help me increase that desire. I'm sure others would like to have that desire increased as well. But then you talk about other types of love, love your enemies. And to some extent, we probably need that same irresistible desire to act toward our enemies. But I wonder if you could expand a little bit on the irresistible desire, yeah. how that so can that's, be increased. That, so your question is how it can be increased? Well, not only how, but that God would cause it to happen. Yes, so that was my point, my first point in the outcome of, of love. So the outcome of God's love. So we, we just got this picture of the example of God's love. And what is the outcome of that, of God loving? Well, the first outcome that we looked at, or that John gives us rather, is that we love others. He says it this way. No one, oh, sorry, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, that's a rhetorical question, right? He just showed us that God loved us. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And he uses the word ought there. And I, the, the way that I think that that function is the only way that he can say that we ought to love one another is if it's guaranteed that we're going to love one another. And the only way that it's guaranteed that we're going to love one another is if we take a look at where does love come from? Love is from God. God is love. So that, I think, is the logic. The logic is, if God has made you his child, you are going to act like your father. You're going to look like your father. And who is God if he is not love? Amen? God is love. So because God is love, you're going to reflect that, you're going to reflect your father in your love toward one another. So in that sense, it's irresistible, almost like grace is irresistible. The grace of God is irresistible. If God says, you are my child, it's not like we can say, well, I don't think so. At least that's not what the Bible, the, the picture of the Bible paints. If God redeems you, if he calls you his child, if you are saved by grace, then you are saved by grace and God's going to see that through to the end. You know, he who began a good work in you will continue it. And so I take that logic to mean we're going to love one another. It's irresistible. Our love for one another is going to be irresistible. It may wax and wane, maybe. It may take some encouragement from others, maybe, yes. But it's going to be there because of who God is. Yeah, the, the Jewish notion of fatherhood and begetting, we, we tend to think of CSI and genetics, is, is a functional category. So Jesus can say in John 8 to the, to the uh, Pharisees, um, you're of your father the devil, and he's not impugning 
um, their their mothers. Yeah, he's not saying he's not saying their mothers got. (laughs) What he's saying is, you know, it's really simple. The devil's a liar from the beginning. You're lying about me. The devil's a murderer from the beginning. You're trying to kill me. I know whose kids you are because I know whose mark you bear. And the the other logic is then, what does God beget? If God births and begets, we're begotten. Jesus is the unique begotten son, but we were brought forth, begotten by the word of truth and by the spirit. What does God beget? The child, my children have no choice but to be shaped by me both in my home and even physically, that what I beget, what Serena and I beget, will bear our likeness and resemble us. And that, I think, is partly how it's irresistible. That if you are begotten by God, you will be conformed over time to his image. Amen. And if, and I think that's the entire logic of John, even tying with the uh, second or third point about false teachers. Second. Or third, third, third. yeah, because third. Yeah, he's false. just saying, look, if you can stand back and over time identify that somebody is not loving the body, I mean, one of the things that struck me in your message this morning, that we've, Greg and I have been working and talking on this, but hadn't even jumped down. He doesn't say has been born, hasn't been born, on the two outcomes. Hmm. One, whoever loves his brother he has is. been born of God. The other one doesn't even know God. Yeah. Like, have you been begotten or birthed by God? It's like you don't even know Him, let alone you've been birthed by Him. Um, so one is a familial child in a household the others never even met him and that's all because of the inescapable you will be conformed to the image of the one who birthed you who begot you (laughs) if you're a son of the devil you will grow in bearing his image and likeness if you're a son of God you will necessarily grow in his image he will see to it he chastens every child he loves he gives his spirit so there's, there's an inescapable, I mean, absolute sense. Stand back, look at the picture. Who is this person looking more and more like? That's who their father is. Amen. Yes, Trinity has a question. Thank you, Mitchell. So um, it's an easy question, I think. I don't know, maybe, <laughs> hopefully. Uh, you Jesus. Say... <laughs> I'm just Jesus. That, that's... <laughs> First, I really liked your cake metaphor, except for now I really want cake. Um, But you say that faith transforms you and that it bears fruit and like then lead that to love. But what fruit specifically does faith bear and like where do I find that? Well, if you have Galatians in your Bible, we can turn there and... (laughs) Uh, no, actually, I, I, I do have to say that I really leaned heavily on Pastor Daniel's sermon last week. I mean, he just provided all the legwork on that point. So I, I, know, I know that you weren't here last week, but the sermon is available online if you want to go and listen to um, his message. It's on faith alone, and it's a great message talking about how we, we are justified by faith alone, but, but, faith, but the faith that justifies but the faith that is justified works. And um, he has a point that, you know, it's not, or we are saved by faith alone, we're justified by faith alone, but not lone faith, not faith that doesn't bear any fruit. And he, he provides three passages that illuminate that point. So your question is, what does love look like? Or faith look like? What do the fruits of faith and love look like? Yeah. Okay. 522. 522, yep. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And then I would add to that, the fruit of love also is active. It's life-giving. It takes initiative. It's costly and it's redemptive. The points that we looked at this morning. So what are the out or what are the fruits of our love? What are the fruits of our faith? They're actions. They're, they're actual things. They're not things that just live in us um, that are just, you know, oh, I have good thoughts and good vibes, good vibes towards this person. You know, uh, I'm really thinking about you lately, Ron, you know, and I just, you know, just been thinking about you. You know, uh, that's, that I would argue is not a fruit necessarily of love. But the love that we see is the love that can be seen by others because Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. You will know them by their love. And no one can hear that I know of can, you know, incept thoughts in someone's mind and understand who they are. So you'll see that through actions. We're asked to read 1 Corinthians 13. Do we have a verse on that one? Oh, just love. I get it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I, I sort of reference this. I'm, I know. I'm, can you tell me a little... Well, there. Um, I referenced this this morning a little bit um, when I talked about your love is empty. You know, it's like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal if it doesn't produce anything. So I'll just read First uh, Corinthians thirteen. I'll just start at first verse one. Actually, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You could, you, could, you could say a lot and do a lot, but if you don't have love, if you don't have the actions that show love, then you're just a, a clanging cymbal or a resounding noisy gong. And if I have the prophetic powers and understanding all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Those are actions, right? Those are actions. But if their intent and their purpose is not love, is not the, the redemption or the sanctification of each other, then they're just empty. If, you, if you're doing it because you think that God's going to look more favorably upon you, empty, nothing. Love is patient and kind. So back to your point, Trinity. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast it is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Can I, can I bring us to a close real fast, Greg? I'll Go come ahead. up. And I want to thank Greg for, for filling in this, this Sunday. But one thing I've noticed in the Q&A, and I want to bring back to one of Greg's points, I think his primary point, one of his primary points, is we've asked a lot about the questions have come up about loving our enemies, loving ISIS. John's text, Greg's text today is about loving the body. Mm. And I want you to look at Galatians 6.10. There's an unmistakable um, emphasis on loving the church. And I think it's interesting that it's easier for us, I think. There's a very concrete, practical reason why. It is really easy to deceive myself about my feelings of love or not love for um, people I'll never meet. It's not likely you're going to encounter ISIS. You might. It's not likely. 
it's not likely that I'm going to meet many of these people that I see on TV and on, on web, and that's fine. So God wants us to start. Look at Galatians 6.10. So as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those of the household of faith. God has tasked us with a concrete group of people that you and I don't get to pick, and we are supposed to start there. Not limited there, not that we don't love our neighbor, we don't love the people in our community, but we don't get to skip over the knuckleheads in the seats next to us. No, it's too easy to do that. So God's saying, first and foremost, you want to say you love me, you want to say you want to follow me, love these people that you don't get to pick and choose. Mm. And not just the ones you like, Mm. I liked Greg's point this morning, the ones who irritate you, the ones who rub you the wrong way, the ones you find difficult to love, Your, your imaging of God's love will be better and fuller when you're loving those people than when you're loving the people who invite you over to your, their house for dinner. So it's not that we don't love the rest of the world, but don't skip over that first step and don't just think because you love the people in the church who are nice to you, you're doing this. If, if God's love is active and takes the initiative and it's costly and it's redemptive, that's where we've got to look to see, okay, are we doing this? Before we go on even to loving the neighbor and loving ISIS and loving the nations, Start by loving these people in concrete, practical ways. Thank you, Greg. We're over time. God bless. You are dismissed. Greg will stick around for a few more minutes. You can come up and ask him any questions you want. Thank you. Thank you.